0: everybody, it's Traggs once again, and it's Wednesday, June 17th, time for episode 355 of Patriots Beat on the CLNS Media Network. Find us at CLNSmedia.com and follow us as always, you should be by now, I hope, on Twitter at PatriotsCLNS. Welcoming back Evan Lazar this week, follow him on Twitter at EZLAZAR. He covers the n f l and of course the new England patriots for c l n s media how you been
1: I've been great How about you
0: uh trying to stay busy uh staying healthy and uh I actually hit the tennis court um on sunday with uh my daughter emma had a great time and beat her six loves, so it was awesome
1: you just beating up on your daughter on the tennis court. That does not surprise me one bit. <laughs> nope. I know.
0: I, I said this to uh, the other Evan, Evan Marinovsky, on the Bruins beat on uh, Tuesday that uh, kind of a dick move by me to sound so happy about beating my uh, daughter Six Love in a tennis match. But, um, you know, when you're my age, you want to feel like you can still move around on a court. How do I want to say this? You Youthful. Happy. Youthful, but, uh, more than half my age.
1: Yeah, there you
0: go. We're talking, uh, NFL news here and news that could be pertaining to the New England Patriots. Two quarterbacks still on the market. Uh, one is, has been rumored for several weeks to be, uh, in the crosshairs of the New England Patriots in terms of their interest, Cam Newton. And the other for several years has been rumored to be a potential, uh, Quarterback back up to Tom Brady, but Tom Brady obviously no longer here. That would be Colin Kaepernick, both still on the market, as I said. And I'm curious, Evan, just very high-level question here. Which one is more likely to wind up in New England?
1: I would say it's probably Cam Newton, just because we have film that's relevant from really 2018, 2019, he only threw 89 passes, so I don't know what you really want to take away from that. But in terms of 2018, we at least have a full season's worth of Cam Newton film that we can look at that's you know relevant, that's recent, and I think that that would be a little bit more of an intrigue there for the Patriots than somebody like Colin Kaepernick, who hasn't been in the league since 2016. Due to no fault of his own, but certainly hasn't been in the in the league since then. Has been out of the mix. You know, I, I said this earlier in a video that I did with Sierra Trages. Just kinda yes. of- the new thing kind of, it kind of runs its course, right, with Kaepernick, where the new great, next great thing comes along, and you wait three years, and you're out of the game for three years, and you get passed by, and I think that even outside of all of the racial stuff and outside of all the off-field things with Colin Kaepernick, I think a big reason why you don't see teams chomping at the bit to sign him is because he... They've kind of moved on from that chapter and they've moved on to other guys and they have their depth charts built at quarterback with younger players that are either rookies or undrafted guys or second year guys like Jared Stidham who they just want to see what they have with those guys and they don't really want to reverse and go backwards with a player like Kaepernick.
0: Obviously, he led the 49ers to the Super Bowl uh, and he almost led them to two Super Bowls. Uh, obviously the Seattle Seahawks beat him, um, back in, I believe that was two thousand and
1: twenty
0: fourteen, 2014, right? 2014, yes. Um, and w- my question simply is, how does a quarterback like Colin Kaepernick, who ran the RPO almost, almost to near perfection, drop off that precipitously? Is it simply mechanics or is it the reading of the defenses, a combination of both? I know, you break it down in in some very uh, significant detail thanks to uh, the good folks at Pro Football Focus.
1: Yeah, so basically in his last year under Chip Kelly in 2016, Kaepernick ran an offense that really resembled everything that he's ever ran in his pro football career and in his college career. And I think the biggest difficulty of finding his fit with New England is just that, is that Kaepernick has really been a one-system quarterback going all the way back to his days at Nevada. You know, you're hardly ever under center. It's mostly all shotgun or pistol formation. There's about a 50% chance that it has some sort of read element in the play, an RPO or a zone read or something like that. And a lot of it is also empty if you're not going to be in that type of situation where you're going with an RPO or a zone read. So it's very, very different from what the Patriots have ever run with Tom Brady here in New England. The Patriots last year, according to PFF, ran a RPO on 1.7% of their plays, which was 29th in the league. So they just did absolutely none of that with Tom Brady. And now you bring in the guy in Kaepernick who needs that sort of system to thrive, And to answer your question of, you know, how did he drop off, you know, I I think the biggest thing was is that his supporting cast around him in San Francisco, especially his last year, was crappy. It was probably the worst supporting cast in the entire NFL from a receiver, pass catcher, and offensive line standpoint. So I think you look at those two things and you see a scheme that is really predicated on being run at a high level and on misdirection and kind of confusion for the defense, right? And once has sort of started to figure out some of the schemes a little bit, as players have sort of, revolutionized that part of the game you know guys like Kaepernick Cam Newton who will you know been talking about uh you know guys like Lamar Jackson certainly now once teams start to figure that out a little bit it all becomes about execution and, and how fast things can hit how good things can hit and I think that with Kaepernick he just didn't have the horses around him to run and maybe his skills diminished just a little bit and it led to a really disastrous season for the team in 2016.
0: Who ran the most RPOs last year?
1: The Kansas City Chiefs.
0: That's what I would think with Pat Mahomes. Obviously, he's not going to land there. You know where I'm going with this, obviously.
1: A landing spot for him, I would say, the most obvious landing spot is to back up Lamar in Baltimore because with the Ravens, they have Greg Roman as their offensive coordinator, who is Kaepernick's old offensive coordinator with the San Francisco 49ers. When Kaepernick went to the Super Bowl in 2012, Greg Roman was the guy calling the plays, and he was the one that really changed the entire offense. And now he's brought that Niners offense, that pistol RPO zone read concept type of offense and he's put Lamar in that offense and he's won an MVP there so I I think that that's really where the best schematic fit is for him in terms of the best options in actually signing him I think that you might want to look at some of the more smaller market teams that need to make that sort of splash I think a good team like Jacksonville I was just gonna say yeah they have Gardner Minshew as their starter right now but How sure are they that he's really a franchise guy? Uh, Maybe they bring in Kaepernick, they get the buzz in that benefit from Kaepernick, and then they also can maybe make something work with him if Gardner Minshew ends up tailing off or ends up getting injured or something like that.
0: I would have even said a team like the Bengals, but with Joe Burrow there, they they're, all of their focus, as it should be, I think, is going to be on trying to get Joe Burrow comfortable and the last thing you would want. You know, w- whether it's deserved or not, whether or not you want to blame Kaepernick for this or not, wherever he were to go would be a circus, right?
1: Correct, and I think You're- that's the biggest thing for the Patriots is, He doesn't fit the system. He doesn't fit the cap situation that they're currently in. I think that's a huge thing for New England with Cam and with Kaepernick is that, sure, if they could cut Brian Hoyer tomorrow and the, he has zero dead money on his deal so they would clear a million bucks in cap space and they could use that million dollars to then go give it to Cam Newton and get him on the team, I think they would do it in a second. But both of these guys, Cap and Cam, to a different degrees, are asking for, you know, large sums of money. And I, I that's really the biggest thing is that the Patriots don't have the cap room to really just bring one of these guys in without making a bunch of maneuvers to make it happen. So if their talent and their skill isn't going to move the needle enough for them to go out and have it be worth making those cap moves, and that's why they're still unsigned. That's why they're not coming here to the Patriots.
0: The other thing we need to address with Colin Kaepernick was his 2019 workout, which I did not think was a good look for him.
1: Yeah, it was a confusing situation, and the NFL kind of screwed him over as they have for the last couple of years with the way that they presented it to him. They called his agents. They said, you know, you have – I think it was what 48 hours to decide whether or not you want to do this workout. And that's the way it's going to be. It's going to be here. It's going to be, this is going to be sort of the situation and the setup. And Kaepernick said, you know, screw that. I'm going to set up my own thing and I'm going to do that. And then I think the biggest thing that happened was is the day of the workout, they had to change venues last second. And that really just kind of cut the list of teams that were going to show up to the workout in half, just because the scouts weren't, in that area to be able to go out and see it. So that's a very difficult sort of situation. The NFL kind of screwed him a little bit, but also he kind of screwed himself by not, you know, leaving the workout in the same location, and you know the Patriots are one of the teams that were going to go to the originally scheduled workout, but didn't make it because of the scheduling change, because of the venue change. So that was a big kind of mess there. And then you look at the workout itself. The arm looked good. He moved pretty well in the workout, but his footwork and sort of his timing and his drops was significantly off and just very very sloppy, which is to be expected for a guy that's been out of the league for as long as he has. But you wish that if he was serious about an NFL return he'd be working with the right guys to make sure that his footwork was clean in an environment where there's no pass rush it's a scripted set of plays and routes that he's throwing the ball he knows what's coming next so you would have liked to see his footwork be a little bit cleaner
0: do you think he and the people around him have relied too much on the athletic ability that he showed a great athletic ability that he showed early in his career with the 49ers
1: well, that's always a question of like, you know, at some point in time, usually scrambling quarterbacks, athletic quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks, and Cam Newton's kind of going through the same thing, too. Eventually, the body starts to break down a little bit where you're not that high-flying athlete anymore. And I think that the question is with Kaepernick, less so with Cam, but more so with Kaepernick, is is there another type of way he can win, right? Can he win in a different way? Can he win with sharp decision-making or with accuracy or with uh, mental processing or whatever the case may be? And he did show signs of mental processing, eye manipulation, stuff like that in his 2016 tape, but the accuracy was really where he really struggled for a lot of his career, but mostly in 2016 he was a very inaccurate quarterback, one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the league. He completed under six 60% of his passes but then you look at some of the advanced stats like CPOE which is completion percentage over expectation which basically just guides this is how many passes our model says you should complete and this is how many passes you actually did complete and Kaepernick was one of the worst in the league in that statistic as well so just looking at it from an an accuracy standpoint if he was just going to be more of like a pocket passer that's just not going to work so that's why you need to build a scheme around him you need to have the talent around him to be able to execute that scheme and have the guys be familiar with it. And it's not really something that in a virtual offseason with a potentially abbreviated training right. camp and less preseason games that you're just going to be able to do overnight. This is something that has to be done over a period of time and drilled into players. Looking at Baltimore, for example, they sort of eased into it. Lamar Jackson's rookie year when he started playing at the end of the season, they kind of dipped their toad in some of the things. And then last year after the offseason and after a whole training camp, that's when you see the whole thing open up.
0: You know, one thing that occurred to me as you were wrapping up your answer there is, you know, we talk about the media circus. This is the perfect time, though, if a team were to be so inclined to sign Kaepernick, simply because the media is going to be very limited. I'm, I, I'm going, I'm working on the assumption that the amount of exposure, direct exposure, that these athletes are going to have to media will be limited by COVID, right?
1: Right, and I think that now's the time just in general, just looking at the things that Roger Goodell has said and looking at the way the landscape of the world, the direction that we're pointing in right now, thank God as a country, is towards a positive light, towards an anti-racist light, and there's all those types of things. I think this is, if it's ever going to happen again for Kaepernick in the NFL, it's going to have to happen now, but he's going to have to want to compete. And I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just saying he's going to have to want to get a camp invite and make the team on his own will. He's not going to be able to just show up and be Colin Kaepernick and be guaranteed a starting job. He's going to have to re earn that starting job just like he was, you know, a rookie back in 2011.
0: So what you're saying is it has to be a 50 50 proposition. Colin cannot sit back there and just assume that some team, given. As you mentioned, uh, I think very appropriately, um, the social climate of the country is going to be, a team is going to feel obligated to give him a job. I just don't know if I see a, a scenario where a team is going to guarantee him anything.
1: No, absolutely. I think that's 100% what it is. It would be a camp invite, a tryout, you know, whatever you want to call it. And he's going to have to earn everything that he gets all over again. And his name and his reputation is not going to win him any starting jobs, win him any backup jobs. He's going to have to compete and beat out whoever else is on the roster. You know, if he comes to New England, he's going to have to beat out Brian Hoyer for the backup job. And it's not going to be a situation where they're just going to call carry Colin Kaepernick just because he's Colin Kaepernick. So I think that that's the big thing too, and that's maybe a reason why some of these like little things that have popped up for him, like for example, the Seattle Seahawks. Hawks had some interest in him last year before the season started, and they had talked to his representatives and talked contract figures, and it just kind of seemed, and this is well within his rights, that he's not going to come back to football in the NFL unless somebody makes it worth his while. And I don't think any NFL team, and I mean worth his while contractually and also in terms of his position on the team, and I don't think that any team yet has called him and said, we're going to offer you enough money or we're going to offer you enough roster security to make it worth his while to come out of this hiatus and play football again.
0: I'm not going to sit here and say I have all the answers. I just don't think that the Patriots, and I felt this way really from the beginning four years ago, I just don't think it's a fit here in New England. You obviously articulated that very well. At the start, Evan Lazar is who I'm speaking with on this week's Patriots Beat. You can follow him on Twitter at E-Z-L-A-Z-A-R. He does a phenomenal job. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Sports are slowly making their way back with the UFC, NASCAR, and soccer leading the way. BetOnline has all the best odds and lines for the upcoming matches this weekend. Need more? BetOnline has simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC happening every day, live for you to check out. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of live casino games, poker tournaments, and all of the best props in the business. Visit BetOnline.ag, or you can simply use your mobile device and join now to receive your new welcome bonus and start playing today. BetOnline, your online book. Experts back with Evan Lazar of CLNSmedia.com covering the Patriots and the NFL. All right, Evan, uh, tell us about Jed Fish.
1: Yeah, so this is a really fun one that I've been kind of digging into. Recently, and it kind of started with Jed Fish and also then kind of got into some of Jared Stidham, so we'll get into that too. But Jed Fish, he's a longtime coach. He's got tons of experience at at both the college and pro level of football, but really his biggest influence or one of his biggest influences is Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan's father. And then as you know, sort of a proxy, now Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan. So he worked for the Rams as their assistant offensive coordinator for a couple of years in Went to the Super Bowl with the Rams when the Patriots beat them, and he is a quarterback whisperer, more or less. You know, he's a guy that works with quarterbacks. He's going to be the Patriots' quarterbacks coach. He has really gotten a lot of credit over the years for guys like Jared Goff's development in Los Angeles with Jar- Josh Rosen's development because he was the offensive coordinator at UCLA when Josh Rosen was there. So those are two kind of young quarterbacks that he's brought along, and the Patriots are kind of hoping that he's going to do the same thing for Jared Stidham. I think also was. With- Stidham, you know, back at the Senior Bowl in 2018, uh, Mark Schofield, a friend of the program, who I'm sure you've had on at some point, Traggs.
0: Have indeed.
1: Yeah, he told me that he had a long conversation down there with Stidham before Stidham was drafted at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, about how much he loves this Kyle Shanahan scheme. And Shanahan was his coach at the Senior Bowl that year. And just Stidham just said he felt so comfortable. He loved the things that they were asking him to do in that scheme. So it fits Stidham. It fits Jed Fish and his background. So they're bringing in a new coach with a new kind of set of ideas from a different sort of offense, different philosophies. And I think that they're going to kind of meld some of the things together with what they've already done here for the last 20 years.
0: What are his specialties?
1: Well, I think the biggest thing is for any Niners offense, any Shanahan offense, as you say, anybody cr- coming from that Mike Shanahan coaching tree, the outside zone running game or just the zone running game in general is Mike Shanahan's staple. That's, that's his one thing. Now, Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay have kind of taken that and morphed it into its own self. But basically, with outside zone, you're trying to hit the outside of the tackle, usually the off of the tackle's outside hip, and that's the aim point for the running back. And what you're doing as an offensive line is you're getting out of your stance and you're stepping directly towards the sideline and running, and you're trying to wash the defense down to set up cutback lanes. So basically you get the defense all flowing in one direction, you pin them down with blockers, and then the running back is able to make a cut back up the field vertically depending on where his block set up and who he can kind of fish off of those guys. So from there, they run that outside zone. They run it extremely effectively. The Shanahans, as a family, just teach it better than anybody else in football and off of that outside zone, then you start building in play action. So you run the hard outside zone motion and you know that that kind of cadence you run it to one direction you bring the quarterback back around on a bootleg or some sort of small bootleg concept and then you run pass routes down the field off of it and it really gets that the defense moving and kind of that misdirection and the marriage between the running game and the play action passing game is extremely effective and it's really you know been the reason why the rams and the niners made the super bowl in the last two years was that running game and kind of building off of that running game a very very potent play- Action passing game,
0: conspiracy time. Sure, Sony Michelle is not really an outside zone runner, is he?
1: He was an outside zone runner at oh. Georgia. That's what they did at Georgia for the most part. Was inside zone, outside he zone.
0: He hasn't looked like that. That guy right. here. No, am I so wrong? Am I?
1: No, you are one hundred percent right. And that's the every single time I hear this Jed Fish influence Niners influence kind of mantra around there I'm like that sounds great for Stidham and schematically it sounds great because we know it works it's a great scheme but the question is is what running back do they have on the roster that's going to be capable of doing it and I think what you're hinting at is 100% accurate is that in order to make that scheme run at its best you need a fast running back a really fast running back and the Niners, they run it with Mostert, who is a former college track star and ran a four-three-two in the 40-yard dash. Because of the action, because you're getting out towards the sideline and you need to get the corner and turn the corner, you need somebody that's able to get there in the NFL and be fast enough to do that. And that's where I'm kind of finding it hard to find who's that guy for the Patriots maybe Michelle is that one cut runner that can kind of do more like a tight zone inside zone thing where you're not aim pointing towards the sideline towards the corner, but it's not really going to be full outside wide zone. I don't think with Michelle because of the limitations with the speed.
0: What about Damian Harris? Because there was all the clamoring last year many times and I understood it, uh, but there was a ton of clamoring for Damian Harris. Could he be that guy?
1: he could he he ran about a similar 40 times than Sony the one thing about outside zone is that in certain formations like if you have you know the Niners they love to run outside zone out of an I formation with the fullback in the backfield right and if you do that and you run wide zone with the fullback then you you are basically just aiming it You know, at that outside hip of the tackle, but it's not quite as much of a stretch for the running back to get there because he can get vertical right away because you have the lead blocker in the backfield making sure he's free to do that. Right. So you can do it with a bit of a slower back, but certainly the best scheme, the best outside zone success that teams have had. If you look at the Rams, if you look at the Niners, it was Todd Gurley in L.A. Was, he's obviously extremely fast and an explosive runner when he was at his best. And now Mostert, who's the track star. So that those guys are really what's best for that scheme. But I do think that Sony's vision and Sony's initial burst is good enough to hold up in that type of scheme and he has ran some wide zone stuff with the Patriots. They did used to do it more so with Rob Gronkowski when he was around in 2018, but they have started to implement a little bit more outside zone stuff as their scheme has sort of evolved.
0: James White, not that guy, right?
1: No, not that guy.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, he doesn't, I mean, he just gets himself in great position um, to catch passes and he runs where there's space. Right.
1: Right. You know, he's he's a he's more jittery than, you know, he's more of a jitterbug type. Uh, right. Great cuts. Great elusiveness. Yes. That sort of thing. And not so much that straight line speed.
0: Speaking with Evan Lazar, covering the Patriots and the NFL for clnsmedia.com. When most people try to lose weight, they think exercise. Whether they actually start exercising or not, the results are normally the same either way. I say the same because losing weight is all about nutrition. With Awaken 180 Weight Loss, you'll receive a customized nutrition plan weekly, one-on-one coaching, and the option to receive 80% of your daily foods to help you lose weight your first week and each week after until you're down to your ideal weight. During that, during your weight loss transformation, you'll be gaining the tools to know what and how to eat so you can keep that weight off for the long term. As always, Awaken 180 will provide you free support for life. It's worked for Cedric Maxwell, Scott Zolak, Dan Ray, Kyle Draper, Andy Gresh, and thousands of others. Now it's your turn. Call the long-term solution for weight loss and the official weight loss program of the Boston Red Sox. Awaken 180 Weight Loss online at awaken180weightloss.com. Back with Evan Lazar talking about what maybe the next guy that will be made as an NFL coach. And you know what I mean by this, right, Evan? Yes. Uh, a hot name. That gets talked about, talked about, and talked about until he becomes you know part of the n f l mafia if you will of 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 the, of great up and coming coaches and that we're talking about jed fish today um he was a former offensive assistant guru i actually brought up his um his wiki page as i always do and um he has been to say well traveled would be a massive understatement he actually started out as a defensive coordinator um in gainesville uh, florida and then he moved on uh, eventually going to the university of florida working as a graduate assistant there in the nfl he has already worked for the Houston Texans, defensive quality control, Baltimore Ravens as an offensive assistant, Denver Broncos, wide receivers coach, Seattle Seahawks, which I think you mentioned earlier, quarterbacks coach there, Jacksonville Jaguars as an offensive coordinator for two years in 2013 and 14, and as you obviously mentioned, for the L.A. Rams as a senior offensive assistant uh, in 2018, he's been around the block already.
1: I know, and he's only 44 years old, and that's, he's already done all great. of it. So he was a part, it was sort of an extension, but, a, but I would say a part of that Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Matt LaFleur, Redskins sort of coaching staff with Mike Shanahan in the twilight years of Mike Shanahan's coaching career. And Shanahan was really the one that brought Jed Fish to the NFL. Now, he didn't really go coach for Shanahan right away, but that was sort of the guy that vouched for him in the NFL. And he's also coached for, as you mentioned, the Seahawks and Brian Billick and a bunch of different other really bright offensive mind coaches, Billick and Mike Shanahan, certainly two of the better offensive coaches in their kind of respective uh, eras of football. So I think that this guy really has been around the block for a younger guy. He can relate to young quarterbacks because he's worked with young quarterbacks. His footwork and his ability to coach up footwork is supposed to be his calling card as well as throwing mechanics. So I think that those are going to be some of the things that he's going to work with Jared Siddham on. And then hopefully from more of a big picture standpoint, kind of a scheme game plan type of situation, I think that he's going to have a pretty big influence of bringing on the Shanahan, McVay coaching tree to Belichick and the Patriots?
0: I do not want to say more important than, but I think almost as important as his uh, significant work around the NFL and uh, obviously major college football um, is his experience with different um, organizations and kind of getting a sampling of how different teams do their coaching and uh, direct their players uh, over a, a very, you know, compressed schedule early in his career.
1: Yeah, and I think the great thing about that, if you're a Patriots fan, is quite frankly, that scheme last year in the offense last year was just subpar, and, and it kind of lacked I don't know, creativity, you know, difference of, of opinion, I would say. It's, the, it was the same offensive staff as it's been over the years. Josh McDaniels obviously calling plays and as the coordinator. And I think that at times it was a little bit predictable and a little bit mundane. And I think the Patriots are trying to add a, a you know, jump here of something new, something fresh. A different, different
0: voice to challenge Josh McDaniels. Am I reading it too much or? is that I,
1: yeah, I wouldn't say challenge but certainly influence and help to kind of yeah. be a little bit different because I think at times last year especially if you look at if you're a team that is heavy into analytics and looks at the statistics you could have predicted play calling tendencies by Josh McDaniels almost to a T if you really were focusing on the analytics and exactly what the Patriots were calling based on down and distance
0: uh, This probably is its own podcast okay and and i'm sure you've gotten into this on the all 22s what is the fine line in your mind between being uh, calling a game that has um some intangible unpredictability to it versus calling a game plan like josh mcdaniels might uh that's more formulaic You you know where I'm going with this?
1: Yeah, and I think the fascinating thing is is for it is that like teams like Baltimore or teams like the Rams they run what they run. You know, they they show up on right. Sunday and you know exactly what they're going to run. But it's basically just my guys versus your guys and our execution versus your execution, right? And if you're going to run that type of scheme, now the Patriots are certainly have more birth in their scheme and they game plan differently than those teams do. And they add a lot more kind of game plan specific wrinkles on a week-to-week basis. But I think the biggest thing is, is that if you're one of those teams, then the execution better be awfully high if you're going to succeed. And now luckily for teams like the Rams and teams like Baltimore and teams like the Patriots, it, it usually is very, very high. So it doesn't right. really end up mattering. But I think that what we see is that the scheme evolved, you know, it started with Charlie Weiss and, and it, and it had, it kind of was its own thing back then. A lot, a lot more 11 personnel, three wide receiver and running the football from under center out of three wide out of single back. Then you sort of get into the 07 offense is his own kind of animal. Right. And then they, Transformed it again into this more tempo spread look with the two tight end sets and, and with all that stuff with Gronk and Hernandez. And then that's sort of where it's kind of been, I would say, for the better part of the last decade is that sort of spread pace horizontal stretch, that sort of offense, and I think that with Jed Fish, what you're going to see is a little bit more misdirection involved, a little bit more pre-snap motion involved, and just trying to confuse the defense a little bit more and get them flowing in the wrong direction to hit them back in the other way.
0: What do you think is going to be the biggest factor that determines Sherrod Stidham's success?
1: I think the biggest factor will probably be I think it will be two things. One, I think it will be how the coaching staff uses and implements his weapons. You know, if they can get Nikhil Harry on the right path and they can get him a route tree and sort of a feel of the offense that works for him and works for his game and his skill set, then I think that that's going to go a long way. But I think ultimately the thing that will decide it the most for Jared Sinem will be the guys up front and the offensive line. I, I buy that if they can have an effective running game and then they can pair that with good pass protection, they can keep him clean, then I think that he can operate pretty well from a clean pocket. Any quarterback under the rest is going to suffer, by, especially young quarterbacks, typically, that's when they get injury uh, injury prone, mistake prone, all those types of things. So uh, I think that really the offensive line and the blocking is, the, is 1A, and then 1B, I would say, is coaching and getting these two tight ends that they drafted, getting their running game going again like it was in 2018, getting Nikhil Harry integrated and getting him up to speed, maybe hitting on one of these acquisitions at wide receiver that they made in the offseason, you know, Damari Bird, Marquise Lee. Having one of those guys pan out, I think, would be huge for this team. But ultimately, for Sidham, I don't even think it comes down to anything that he's going to do individually necessarily. I think it's mostly about the talent around him and the coaching around him. Can they just make him what Jimmy Garoppolo was for the 49ers last year in the playoffs. You know, just a guy that they call upon when they need him and a kind of like a point guard of, you know, we're just going to run the scheme. And, the, you know, the book says that we're going to go here when the guys go there and that, that sort of thing and just kind of be that point man to get the ball out and distribute the ball to the guys that are going to make the plays.
0: Well, I think the biggest difference there, though, when you're talking about Jimmy Garoppolo in the playoffs, anybody that watched that offense realized that Rasheem Mostert was taking over games, and obviously the NFC Championship is probably the best example against Green Bay, where he destroyed Green Bay. Do do the Patriots have anything like that in their in their holster right now? I mean, Sony Michelle, I hate. To, I mean, this, this has been beaten to death over the last what year and a half, but I don't, just don't see Sony Michelle as that explosive Mostert type of guy
1: right and you know moster got a lot of help from the guys up front also and that that's yeah. you know a big reason why he was able to get those runways to build up that speed and get up into the open field and use that track speed to win it, it really in a very impressive way but i think with the niners The biggest thing was, is how teams were playing them, right? You know, they went into that NFC championship game and the biggest, most effective thing about that diners offense last year was not their running game. It was actually their play action passing game. That was what was really adding the most points to their offense. The most efficiency to their offense was how prolific they were in play action. So what, what ended up happening was is Green Bay actually loaded up defensively to stop the pass, to stop play action. So they were playing with lighter boxes, playing with two deep safeties, playing with guys back to protect against the pass. And the Niners just kind of took what they gave them, and they ran all over him. And then you get to the Super Bowl and the Chiefs looked at that at that game two weeks earlier and they said, well, we can't let Mostert get off. Right. We can't let him run like right. that, like he did against Green Bay. So they actually walked everybody up towards the line of scrimmage and basically dared Jimmy Garoppolo the entire game to throw the football. And he did make some throws, but eventually Patrick Mahomes just kind of outlasted him.
0: I mean, and I wasn't intending on turning this into a Jarrett Stidham podcast because uh, next week uh, I am going to have Mark Schofield on. Schofield nice. on. You know that. I, I actually lined that up as uh, you were on one of your five-minute answers, so thanks yeah. for doing that. But uh, I, I'm going to definitely talk to uh, Jarrett. Uh, <laughs> I wish I could talk to Jarrett Stidham. No, I'm going to talk to Mark Schofield next week about Jared Stidham. But the question I have on, to ask you about Stidham is – if I'm a defensive coordinator, I'm trying to confuse him at the line of scrimmage, pre-snap, post-snap. I'm going to do everything I can to give him different looks uh, because I think that's the best way to get to a young quarterback is to test him not physically but mentally.
1: Yeah, and the interesting thing is is uh, just listening to guys talk about Jared Sinema at practice, the one thing that they pointed out was how good he was at – you know kind of diagnosing and seeing those types of blitzes coming because you know the Patriots defense especially the starting defense that's what they're all about right they're all about disguising and moving guys around and blitzing guys from different angles and stuff like that and Devin McCourty and some of those guys have publicly said that Stidham really handled that extremely well and that was one thing that they were really impressed with I think with Stidham the biggest thing is that just watching at his preseason tape you know there are some throwing mechanics things that I think he can work out and you can talk to Mark about this a little bit too is his release is a a little bit elongated he kind of stretches his arm out a little bit longer than you would like if you look at Tom Brady's release for example it's extremely compact right right over yep. the top ball is out really snappy With Jared it's a little bit longer it takes a little bit longer for the ball to come out and that can lead to turnovers it can lead to poor timing with the receivers it's just all oh, that little tenth of a second that makes such a big difference in a sport like football so that's something mechanically that I'm sure that he's been working on and he will continue to work on in terms of mentally I, I think he's got to pretty good grasp of the game you know a lot of defenses i'm sure will try to confuse them by you know putting a bunch of guys up at the line of scrimmage and trying to confuse them with blitzing you know young quarterbacks setting protections sniffing out blitzes understanding not necessarily you know a lot of young quarterbacks they can see a blitz is coming but they actually the question is is do they know the answer to the blitz right they do they do right. they can they then go and put their guys and say, okay, you know, the slot blitz is coming, or this off ball linebacker is coming on a blitz? Where do I put my running back? Where do I put my tight end? Where do I? What call do I make to my offensive line and make sure that I am protected? That's the hardest part for a young quarterback is not necessarily sniffing it out, but being able to find the answer to in, in order to protect yourself, because ultimately, that's as much of pass protection as anything as the quarterback, right? how quickly he gets the ball out how he stands in the pocket his ability to sniff out blitzes that's just as important as the actual five guys blocking people up front so I think that's going to be the big question for Sinem is when defenses test him does he know the answers to the test and the second thing is is just cleaning up some of the things about his throwing mechanics getting a little bit of a snappier quicker release I think that will really help him in this offense
0: what else you're working on
1: well, I got this thing on Jed Fish and the Niners offense coming out later this week. I got the Kaepernick thing out today. So go ahead and check both of those things out. And then, uh, we're, we're sort of hitting hit the dead time here, Trag. So we're, we're going to. Time for
0: golf and tennis. What do yeah, you do?
1: Yeah, yeah we're going to scrap some things together. I like to spend my summers up in New Hampshire. My parents mm-hmm. have a, a lovely lake house up there. And, uh, and so we go up there on the weekends and, uh, and go out on the boat or go to the beach on the lake or whatever. And it, it's a great time.
0: Outstanding. Well, uh, you have certainly earned it, Evan. Um, hopefully when I see you again, we're going to be covering, uh, either a practice or a game, but uh, who knows what's, yeah. Yeah. Who, who knows what's ahead? We just have to play it by ear. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Evan Lazar. Also want to thank our great sponsors, betonline.ag and awaken 180 for producer michael Longi and the founder of the network, Nick Gelso. This is Mike Petralia, and this has been the Patriot Speed Podcast, powered by CLNS Media. Hello, I'm Dan Lothian, host of the Behind the Media podcast on the CLNS Media Network. Along with Jimmy Young, we dive into the biggest media headlines each week with honest, informed, and sometimes irreverent perspectives. It's not all serious. We deliver information and entertainment. As we like to say on Behind the Media, we find the interesting in media so you don't have to go searching for it. Listen to our podcast and get prepped for the next trip to the water cooler. Subscribe to Behind the Media wherever you get your podcast, or find us on www.clnsmedia.com.